Welcome back to the Double Double on KLJX LP in Flagstaff. I'm your host, Brendan Martin, joined uh, with me as always. Gabriel Dixon, you already know, the co-host of the hour. That's right. And today, for the first time, we have a, a very special guest, Brianna. Welcome to the show. Nice to meet you and uh, just welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course, we're excited for you to be here. Uh, today, we'll be talking a lot about uh, the NFL week four, we had some postponements uh, for games due to COVID. We have two games going on today on Monday, today, October 5th, 2020. We'll be talking about some other games as well, and as well as some breaking news, the, the firing of a certain coach. We'll be getting into that a little bit later. Later on, we'll be talking about the NBA. Both the NBA finals and the WNBA finals are going in full swing. We'll be talking about that series as well as our predictions going forward into next year. And later on in the show, we'll be talking about the Major League Baseball postseason. Uh, the playoffs, the tournament is underway. Uh, teams are in full swing, looking to make their push into, into a deep playoff run. But first, let's get started with the NFL. Starting with break, the breaking news of the day, the Houston Texans officially firing head coach and general manager Bill O'Brien after six-plus seasons with the team after they started the season 0-4 for the first time since 2008. Gabe, what are your thoughts on the firing, and where should the Texans go from here? Well, personally, I feel like it was long overdue. Bill O'Brien was never a good head coach, and he damn sure was not a good general manager. So it was about time, in my opinion. He traded away their best asset basically this offseason in DeAndre Hopkins and got uh, Johnson, the running back, who hasn't really performed up to standard and they didn't really get what they actually needed. They traded for Laramie Tunzel last offseason for two first-round picks to Miami, so they don't have two first-round picks. Um, they don't have their first-round pick this season, and the next season they lost their best player. They still have DeAndre Hopkins, but they didn't have anything around him, not a good offensive line. He was just terrible. If you look at his entire resume, this was long overdue. They gave him more power when he got worse for some reason, and they elevated him to general manager when he wasn't doing that good as a head coach, which I don't understand what's happening over there with the Houston Texans. The owner died two years ago, and his wife took over. I don't know really what the organization has been doing or what they've been thinking, but it's been chaotic, and it was definitely time for a, a new start there in Houston. Right. I, I tend to agree. I mean, I forgot to mention that uh, as of right now, the interim head coach is their former assistant head coach, Romeo Crennel, who is 73 years old and has previously head coached for Cleveland and Kansas City. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think this decision is long overdue. Uh, very curious, you know, as why, why they waited four games into the season to do it. But I mean, it's an 0-4 start. You really can't argue with that. I will mention that, you know, they had probably the hardest schedule of any team to start off the season. They opened the season on Thursday night against the Super Bowl champions, the Chiefs. Then they went to the uh, Ravens and then the Steelers. And then, of course, uh, yesterday they they lost to the Minnesota Vikings, who were also also 0-3 going into that game. So, I mean, it's a, it's a tough situation. I mean, that team and that organization has kind of been floundering for the past few years despite the success of making it to the playoffs more times than not. Of course, having Deshaun Watson there, who's been carrying that team and, and who had – DeAndre Hopkins is sort of that one-two duo that, you know, is really the, the, the core of that offense. But now they sort of need to start, start from scratch. Uh, Brianna, what are your thoughts on the firing, and what, what is the Texans' outlook from here? Well, it looks like fans are kind of happy about it. Um, 
looks like he's made a number of questionable decisions. And uh, I hope they get a new coach in there who's going to do a better job. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this guy, the, the interim coach to have right now, definitely, I mean, he's old. Uh, he has head coaching experience, but, you know, he was their assistant head coach. So Yeah, Romeo Cornell is good, and he's a good coach. He's been a head coach for other teams. I like him. He's another black guy, too. So, at least for the moment, there's another black head coach in the NFL. But he's not that guy. Uh, he's had other head coaching opportunities, and there's a reason why he's not a head coach right now. He's a, he's a damn good coordinator, but I don't think he's – he's about to turn that team around anytime soon. Yeah, it's tough. And it's a trend that I think we've seen a lot with uh, coaches that have been developed under the Bill Belichick system where, you know, they, you know, organizations bring them in uh, to sort of uh, teach their team the Patriot way where they just do nothing but win. But we've seen with Matt Patricia, you know, obviously here with Bill O'Brien. And I think the Giants are trying to do the same thing with Joe Judge, just it doesn't work. You know, it, does, it doesn't transfer well going to just uh, a whole new team and trying to bring a, a whole new sense of culture there. So we'll see how it goes with the Texans. Um, it's a tough start to their season. Uh, it might be a little bit too late to, to turn anything around, especially with how tough that schedule was from the start. But let's move on to a, a bigger topic within the NFL this past week, which were game postponements. Uh, there were two games that were postponed due to players on the team testing positive for COVID-19. The first game that got postponed was the Titans versus Steelers. Multiple players on the Titans tested positive as well as members of their organization. And the game had to be pushed back to a further date, that date being week seven. So a few weeks from now, um, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, since the Steelers didn't have any positive tests, what was it? How was their practice going to look like? Were they going to be able to practice more than the Titans? And the NFL had to come to a conclusion that the game just simply would not be fair if they were if it were carried out this week, given the amount of players that were out and given the amount of practice time that the Steelers had compared to the Titans. Brianna, we'll start with you. What did you think about the postponement? And what should the NFL do going forward about positive tests? Well, right now it looks like they made the choice to move it to week seven. Um, unfortunately, it seems like there's a lot of scrambling with uh, players testing positive and not being able to play, but uh, it seems like this postponement, postponement wasn't too big of a deal and they were kind of able to fix it easily, but it's really such a hard call to um, get all these games played when people are testing positive. Definitely. I mean, I'm surprised that it took all the way until week four for something like this to happen. I was expecting it to happen sooner rather than, than later. Um, but Gabe, what about you? What did you think about the postponement? What do you think the NFL should do oh, going forward? Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> it was my worst nightmare. It was, it, was like, it was like March. What was it like? December, March 21st all over again, man. <laughs> I swear. I swear my whole world was shutting down. I didn't know what was happening, but it looks decent. Um, and a little bit of hindsight that I have right now, it looks all right. The NFL is kind of handling this one decently, but there's up to 20 players in the tie-ins and uh, players and personnel that have been affected. Uh, it's not a good luck, but thank, thank God that the Vikings didn't have any positive tests also after playing the Titans that previous week. And then also there hasn't been too many other cases in the NFL. Uh, Cam Newton, who's playing, who isn't playing right now, but his team is playing, uh, obviously tested positive for COVID-19. And there is an investigation. Then the NFL and 
NFL Pierre both doing an investigation on the Tennessee Titans right now to see if there was any misconduct uh, within the team that led to this. And there's been a lot of uh, talks. You could say that like if they do find anything, they're going to really set an example of the Tennessee Titans. So hopefully, I don't want to say I, I hope it was the Tennessee Titans kind of messing up, but I like, I just, I hope that their protocols are working basically is all I'm saying. And I hope that no other games get delayed because it definitely could compromise the integrity of, of the game. I think that football could be once more, if any, though, that could probably postpone maybe a couple of weeks. If, um, if any, they don't really have any other sports in the, in the spring that they run into. Uh, they definitely have ample time to finish out the season. So that's what I'm looking forward to right now, honestly. There's a lot to talk about as far as that week seven matchup uh, when they're supposed to we- when they're supposed to meet up. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens pushed back their week eight game to play the Steelers on week seven. And now the Steelers and the Titans don't have bye weeks. Kind of really unfortunate for the Steelers because they didn't do anything wrong. But now they have to play. I mean, they technically did get a bye week, but they were still training that entire week. So it is kind of unfair when you look at it from that point of view. But we'll see, honestly, what happens when it comes down to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a hard situation that the NFL is in right now. I mean, when the season before the season started, it was, there were talks of how would a season look? You know, could they potentially do something like the bubble, like the NBA is doing? And that really didn't seem realistic given the amount of, of players and the amount of personnel needed for every game and, and how, just how long the season is too, to be able to have a complete season in a, in a centralized location. Um, you mentioned a little uh, about the other game that was postponed. It's actually happening right now. It was supposed to happen yesterday and it is happening on Monday night. The chiefs and the Patriots are playing and this game got postponed because of one player get, testing positive. That being Patriots star quarterback, Cam Newton testing positive. Also, it's also the, the NFL and a huge scramble of trying to get, every player tested before this game and seeing, you know, just how far the spread has gone within the Patriots locker room. And thankfully it does seem to be just Cam Newton, which means, which allowed the game to happen uh, only a day after it was scheduled. But because of that, the Patriots are without their star quarterback, which could certainly affect the game. Gabe, what did you think about this postponement in particular? Cause you know, it is happening. The game is happening right now, only after one day, a one day suspension, as opposed to pushing it down the line. What do you think about this one? Well, it's definitely a different situation than what the Titans are going through right now. And I'm watching the game as we speak through this, trying not to get distracted as much as I can. And I just saw that the Patriots have not had – they just got their first offensive penalty this season. That was just something remarkable. I had to <laughs> throw out to our viewers before I go on. But the New Orleans Patriots overnight, uh, the test results came back negative um, from Sunday till now, Monday morning. So everyone was able to play. Uh, they all traveled to Kansas City. Uh, they take they took two planes, uh, one plane with everyone that didn't have contact or who wasn't in contact with Cam Newton, and the other plane had 20 teammates. I was I uh, this report that I saw from Mike Reese uh, of ESPN said that the 20 players who did have who were in close contact with Cam Newton took a separate plane. And then we're also tested again right after um, they landed, basically, and then also came back a negative. So, yeah, that's why they're playing right now. Thank God. We all love football. I'm not trying to see another game get delayed. Uh, this would have been a really great game if Cam Newton was playing. Uh, I don't really expect it to be that amazing now that he's not. 
the Kansas City Chiefs should run away with this one, but I am really interested to see how the Patriots defense looked, looks. And while we were talking, uh, while this podcast has been going, looks like the Patriots recovered a fumble that was overturned or something like that. Bill Belichick was as heated as I've ever seen him on the sideline. It was pretty funny. And then also they, they, uh, they also got another fumble recovery earlier in the game. So their defense has been showing out. But Brian Hoyer, the back of quarterback of the Patriots, already threw a pick in this game very early in the first – or late in the first quarter, early in the second. I believe it was 13 seconds left in the first. Uh, pretty bad throw down the right side of the field. So we'll see what happens in this game. Sony Michelle, the lead back, too, for the Patriots is also out with an injury and James White, who has been out for a couple of weeks because of a tragic story uh, involving his family is back tonight. Hopefully he can have a nice inspiring effort for that Patriots team, make it more of a game. Hopefully they can win the game on his back. And the one thing I'll say about the Patriots all season that if they're going to win this game, I can see this really being the reason why is that offensive line for the Patriots has been solid, even though their O-line coach for 27 years, I'm uh, forgetting his name right now, left. Very historic guy on that team, though. But their O-line has looked really good this season, and that defense is obviously solid. So I'm expecting a decent game, and I would expect a great game if Cam Newton was playing. Yeah, definitely. We were, we were certainly robbed of having, you know, probably one of the best regular season games of the season through this. And it's especially interesting given that now they have to have Brian Hoyer as – they're starting quarterback for well, however however long it takes for Cam Newton to recover from the, the from the virus. Uh, Brian Hoyer, he's been he's been with this organization before. He's played with, with this team, gone to other teams, and then come back. So they brought him back for basically this exact purpose: is to fill in, knowing that Cam Newton could also potentially be injured, given you know the style he plays. You know how he's a rushing quarterback who likes to take big hits. Uh, so he, he's known, he knows the system well, but giving the transition from a rushing quarterback like Cam Newton going back to a stable, you know, more pocket presence like Brian Hoyer, you know, it's tough to have that turnaround in, you know, less than a week. Um, so, Brianna, what do you, th- what do you think about uh, the league's handling of this game and postponing it? And what do you think the, the Patriots outlook for the season is now that Cam Newton is out for a period of time? Well, I think it's most important to keep the uh, player safety in mind. Um, America isn't America without football, so I get it. Everybody wants it to go normally, but we really have to think about the players and make sure that they're safe so that we can continue to see these games. Um, as far as the Patriots go, I don't really have much to say about that. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's definitely a toss-up now. I mean, their season, before they got Cam Newton, people were expecting, you know, weren't expecting much. You know, what they are wondering, could Bill Belichick pull this team that didn't have a variety of weapons, that just lost their star quarterback? And that seemed to rekindle when they got Cam Newton, and now he's not there anymore. So it's going to be hard to say uh, where their season leads going forward. Um, let's move on to some actual games that have hap- that happened yesterday. Um Starting with probably the most interesting game that happened, the Cleveland Browns versus the Dallas Cowboys. The Browns took this one 49 to 38. The Cowboys, just like they seem to do this season, started mounting a huge comeback late, but it, was, it didn't mount, amount to a victory as the Browns held on with an 11 point victory thanks to uh, Baker Mayfield and mainly Odell Beckham Jr. showing out, probably having one of the best games he's had as a Cleveland Brown. 
Gabriel, what did you think of the game? Uh, and what should the Cowboys do now starting 0-3? What do they need to do differently uh, going forward? Man, uh, that's a extremely hard question, Brendan. <laughs> to ask. I don't know what the Dallas Cowboys should do because they haven't done anything right. They're a very toxic, toxic organization. They can't seem to ever get on track. These past four games that we've seen from them, they are always playing from behind. And that doesn't make sense, too, when you have such a great run game and a decent defense. The defense looked actually horrible, but the names on their defense, they should be good, especially with Alden Smith, the breakout or comeback player of the year, really showing his impact on that team to Marcus Lawrence. Trayvon Diggs, their their pick over this their pick in this draft has really shown his worth, but they still haven't shown that they're a good team. And Mike McCarthy's in trouble, in my opinion. first. Cleveland Browns played exceptional yesterday. They ran all over the Cowboys defense. Um, did you did I cut out there for a second? Says, you cut out for a little bit, but you're you're fine. Keep going. All right, yeah, but the Browns played exceptional yesterday. They ran all over the Cowboys' defense. Baker uh, was 19 for 30 for 165 yards passing and two touchdowns. He didn't do anything exceptional, but he didn't do anything bad. So he played his role in that game. Odell Beckham had 154 yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns, really showing out. I had him on my fantasy team. Thank God he finally played played well and and showed what he's worth. And then, uh, really, that defense showed up, too, especially in that second quarter, third quarter. They really played pretty well. Fourth quarter, they, they gave up a huge lead, though. But they showed up when it counted. I mean, they shut out the Dallas Cowboys for so long. And then they were up by 27 heading into the fourth. They let off the gas a little bit. And last but not least, Dak Prescott, man. Or not even just Dak Prescott, but this is also the Cowboys. But when the when the score was 14 to 14 in that second quarter, Dak Prescott was eight for 15, 53 yards, and he lost a fumble on five drives. He had zero points, and um, five first downs to five drives can get get the job done for that team and the Browns should have had three interceptions that they just dropped late in that game in that fourth quarter. It was pretty bad by Dak Prescott. I mean, his numbers say that he had a decent game, 500 plus yards, uh, was really throwing it down the field, but that's when they were down by 27 in the fourth quarter. So I don't want everyone to act like he's some really stellar quarterback. And if the Browns could actually catch the ball, then he'd have multiple interceptions that game. So that was really my takeaway. I think Mike McCarthy is in trouble. I think they should be 0-4. The defense is sorry. And the offense is not effective when they need to be. Zeke is not running the ball um, effectively. He's looked pretty bad in, in the run game. I remember old Zeke really being able to take one or two hits before he gets to the ground. And now it's like he gets touched and he just falls. I don't know if I'm the only person that sees this, but the Cowboys are in trouble. Yeah, definitely. The only saving grace they have is it was the same as last year's that they're in probably the worst conference uh, of the season or the worst division in the season. Eagles are taking it though. 
Eagles are taking that. I mean, they, it's, it's insane how the Eagles have are leading the division with a record of, what is it, one, two, and one? Yeah. Which is, which is ridiculous. Um, so that's really the main saving grace for the Cowboys. And it would be a completely different conversation if they were already 0-4 if they didn't have that insane comeback against the Falcons. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I mean, Dak, obviously the numbers are great, 502 yards, four touchdowns. Um, he seems to really like playing from behind, uh, which is obviously a great quality to have in a quarterback. Uh, and a team as a whole, but you got to be consistent. You got to be able to to maintain leads and be able to do well early in the game. Uh, Brianna, what were your thoughts of the game, and what do you think the Cowboys need to do going forward in order to sustain the season? So, um, Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott, he did make a really nice 55-yard touchdown. Um, wide receiver C.D. Lamb, he caught it, um, but it just wasn't enough. However, they are supposed to be playing the Giants next week or on Sunday, and that might help them out a little bit. The Giants are 0-4, and it looks like they think that the Cowboys are going to take this one. So hopefully that'll help out their odds, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what the conversation on our show would be like if the Cowboys lose to the Giants of all teams. Um, you know, especially with the story of, you know, the Giants got Jason Garrett, the Cowboys a former head coach is now uh, the offensive coordinator for the, for New York. So, I mean, just the whole, the whole world would just crumble around the Cowboys if they lost to a division rival like the Giants. Um, you know, they're, like, I, like I said, they're in an easy division or it should be an easy division. Uh, there's certainly still plenty of time to make up for it. They've shown uh, bits and pieces of, of, of success, especially late in games. Um, but they just got to be able to show up early, and because it's it's a game that you have to use to play all four quarters, you play every single minute. Um, and if you don't, then the other team will be able to just steamroll you in any way uh, they want to. Um, let's go into one more game that happened last week. It is a game that I know Gabriel will have a lot to talk about as a Chicago fan. It was the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears. The Colts took this one 19 to 11 in a fairly low-scoring effort. Um, you know, Nick Foles got the start, played the whole game, uh, threw for 249 yards, touchdown and interception. With no, of course, no Mitchell Trubisky there, and the Colts had Philip Rivers, who's there, who just joined the team last year, throwing 190, 190 yards and a touchdown. Gabe, you're a resident Chicago Bears fan. What did you think of the game? And what you know, given that this is this is the only loss that the Bears have, and it was also Nick Foles' first start as a Chicago Bear. What does it mean for their quarterback situation? Oh, man. Very conflicting. <laughs> Very conflicting. Uh, just to start out with, as a Chicago Bears fan, like you said, there's no way in God's green earth that we should be 4-0 starting this season. I just don't believe that it was was meant to be. We played a very good Colts team this past Sunday who technically has the number one defense. But I don't believe that we were supposed to win this past Sunday. Nick Foles, he looked terrible. The offense looked terrible. Uh, Nick Foles looked confused and just playing bad. The run game was non-existent, and it has been the entire season. The O-line has been kind of struggling. They played decent yesterday. They didn't let, they didn't let up a lot of sacks, but they didn't let they're, – they're just absolutely terrible when it comes to the run game. They cannot get anything. They can – every single time the ball gets handed off, the running back is hit behind the line of scrimmage. I like promise you that's that's the way these games have been going. And then in the passing game against the Colts, I mean, 
the Colts have a really good secondary. Uh, they played well. Darius Leonard was out. Uh, he, he left the game in the late second quarter with a hamstring injury. So I thought that was going to kind of offset the game. He's their star player on defense. Uh, he's their star uh, linebacker. They also have Justin Houston and uh, DeForest Buckner, who are really good players. Don't want to discount them. So Darius Leonard went out, and I felt like Jimmy Graham, who was getting covered by him, was going to – that was going to open up his opportunities. It didn't really. Uh, the offense struggled extremely throughout the entire game. And then Nick Foles had an opportunity late in that – or early in that fourth quarter – about 11 minutes left and he threw a pick that's it wasn't his fault it just slipped through Anthony Miller's hands and went to uh Blackman the safety's hands and at that point in my mind the game was over the upside is the defense was exceptional for the Bears though they only allowed one touchdown all game and it came in the first drive by the Colts um they couldn't get enough pressure really to be too effective and take over the game uh, you got to credit Phillip Rivers. Colts defense played exceptional. Where the game really differed, the Colts were 8-19 and 19 on third down conversions, and the Bears were 4 for 14. So I feel like that is really where the, the tide turned in the game. If the Bears were able to convert on just 20% more on those, then it probably would have been a lot closer ball game. But despite the last score, 19-11, to 11, it wasn't that close of a game. Nick Foles played the number one ranked defense. That's basically my my last statement so far in this season. I think that the Bears have showed a lot. And I am just hoping, I am hoping so much that this isn't the real Nick Foles that we got this last Sunday. I mean, when you have a, a whole team rushing for a total of 28 yards, uh, that's always not going to be a good sign especially when you have a question mark at the quarterback position with Trubisky and Nick Foles. And I, I fear for you. I mean, looking at what Nick Foles did last year when he got signed to Jacksonville, you know, week one gets her break, breaks his collarbone. And of course they bring Gardner Mitchell who does, who exceeds expectations there, given what they thought they were going to get from him. And then when Nick Foles gets back, he's not, he's not at all the player they thought he was going to be Looked like he never really recovered from the injury and they ended up trading him. They ended up giving him away to the the Bears so you can definitely see something like that happen to Nick Foles again and I would not be surprised if we start seeing a seesaw between Trubisky and Foles you know trading off at the quarterback position depending on you know if one one player decides to get hot or one player decides to go cold kill me now Brendan if that happens (laughs) kill me now I'm I'm just I'm just letting you know I'm just warning you because I can totally see that happening with the Chicago Bears team uh, Brianna, what about you? What did you think about the game? And given the Bears' question mark at quarterback, you know, who do you think would be their best option for that position? And what do you think is going to happen to them as, as for the season? Um, well, it looked like, I mean, everyone thought the Browns were going to win. And then they came back. The Cowboys came back with 24 points. So um, that was really crazy. Um, what was the last part of your question? I'm sorry. I was asking about the, the Bears and the Colts. How did you think that game went? And how do you think what, their, what is going on with their quarterbacks? Um, Just like me, man, I have no idea. <laughs> it's yeah. really a hard situation for the Bears. 
And it's either Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles. And right now it's not looking like it's great for either end, but I think like the Bears just got to stick in with, with uh, Nick Foles for the time being. Hopefully we can ride. I mean, we're three and one. This is not panic mode. Yeah, you know? so I don't, I don't understand how, how that works. You mentioned how you don't, you don't believe that the team should be yeah. four and oh. That team shouldn't even be three and one. Hell, they shouldn't even, probably shouldn't even be three, two and two. All right, calm yeah. down now, Brendan. Calm I'm down. I'm just saying. Now. I mean, I was thinking, you know, it's it's a weird season. You know, not only for given given the circumstances of everything going on outside of football, but just in the matter of you know, teams are playing a certain way, and the records don't reflect that. No, I, I understand that. Yeah, the Bears definitely didn't have the highest expectations. I'm a Bears fan, so I always have really big expectations for us. Mm-hmm. Our defense is solid. Our offense is good. I have always felt like we just needed a solid quarterback. So hopefully Nick Foles can be that guy. This past Sunday did not look like it, though. Definitely. We'll just have to wait and see how their season goes. But that's going to do it for our first segment here on the Double Double uh, with Brendan and Gabe. Uh, Brianna, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. Or we'd be happy to have you anytime we can. And we'll be right back. We'll talk more about the NBA and the NBA Finals. And welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP in Flagstaff. Once again, I'm Brendan Martin, joined with Gabriel Dixon. And once again, we are joined by our guest, Wes. Welcome back to the show. How you doing, man? Good. How about you? I'm doing good. Thank you for, so much for asking. We're going to jump right into the NBA Finals, Lakers versus Heat. The series uh, is three games in. Lakers lead two to one. Lakers took the first two games, and the Heat came back and took game three on a miraculous effort from Jimmy Butler. Gabe, what do you think? Of, what are your thoughts of the series so far? And is the series already over for the Heat, despite winning their game? Yes, yes, it was over before it started. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Buckus fan. Jimmy Buckus, man. Jimmy Butler. Out of Tomball, Texas, going to Marquette after going to a junior college, drafted 30th, was a 30th overall pick in the 2011 draft, went to my Chicago Bulls. Man, he's my favorite, but the series is over. The series was always over. I had Denver over them, but Denver was going to come out of the West. So I didn't really ever give Miami too much of a chance. And I, I mean, Denver wasn't going to come out of the West. That was just. I always said whoever's coming out of the West is going to beat the East. That's how it's always been basically the past couple of years. And I still believe it's like that this year. Jimmy managed to win a game without his number two and number three guys and Bam out of the bio. Um, Bam out of bio is their leading rebound guy. He's a huge contributor on the scoring end, especially in uh, like the Celtic series. He was their main guy for sure. Also a really big distributor, Goran Dragic, also another great scorer slash distributor. So having those guys, that was was huge. If those guys come back and play inspired basketball that Jimmy that Jimmy has been doing for those these past three games or four games now, or was three games? Yeah, three games now. Then maybe they can get three more wins, but it's extremely improbable in, in my mind. I think that Basically, this series is over, man, and it was a valiant effort by Jimmy and the Heat. But like everyone knows, this is the worst matchup LeBron James has ever seen in the finals, and I don't think LeBron's going to lose this one. It doesn't seem to be that way. Of course, as you said, Jimmy Butler in the, in Miami Heat down two of their best players, Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo. 
looking at their status for game four, Bam Adebayo, who's dealing with a neck injury that he's been dealing with ever since the conference finals. He's, he's listed as questionable. He could return for game four while Goran Dragic is still listed as doubtful with, with his foot injury, a tear in his foot. Wes, what are your thoughts of the series so far? And do you think the series is already over? I thought it was over before it even started, man. Um, for the Heat to actually even win this or even get another game, Jimmy Butler has to play like he he has to get basically another a triple double or at least a double double and play like that for the next couple of games. And I just don't see that happening. No disrespect to Jimmy, he's a great basketball player, but uh, without you know your point guard and your second best player on the team, in my opinion, with Bam, you know that's not. Even with Bam on the floor, it was hard to guard AD. I feel like it's pretty much impossible to guard AD. Only person on that court on both teams that can stop AD is AD from stopping himself from scoring. I feel like this series was over before it started. Jimmy Butler has to play like that every game from here on out for the Heat to even have a slight bit of a chance to beat the Lakers. And I just don't see him doing that. Um, Tyler Hero, he has to shoot better than six for 20. Uh, he's a great shooter. He's a great perimeter player. He has to do better than that. I just don't see them playing the way they play or the way Jimmy played every game here on out to even get another win. I think the Lakers are going to get this one 4-1 just like they um, did in the past couple rounds. For sure, man. I mean, you got to look at the, the team stats. Uh, you know, the Lakers, you know, their Achilles heel and what really has been their Achilles heel uh, this whole bubble was is their shooting while at the same time their free throw shooting as well. They missed seven free throw shots, which could have made a, a difference in the game for sure, given that it was an 11 point game. Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole series, the whole the the result of the Miami Heat resolves around Jimmy Butler. If Jimmy Butler doesn't show up to play, then they're, the, the Heat are done. They, don't, they might as well not even show up in the arena. Um, we've seen flash, bits and flashes of him, you know, dropping 40 against the Bucks. He dropped 40 against the Lakers this past game. And, yeah, he, like, it's, it's going to be impossible for him to do that night in, night out against this Lakers team that has Anthony Davis, who in those first two games was probably the, the, the finals MVP going forward. But his, his, uh, his performance in game three maybe uh, dampered that a little bit. So I'm going to throw this question at you guys. You know, we're only three games in. Um, there's a lot – uh, left to play in the series, you know. Um, who do you think so far is the finals MVP, and who do you think is going to take the, the finals MVP once it's all said and done? Gabe, we'll start with you. Before I say the finals MVP, I will say, Wes, I definitely agree with you, man. Uh, Jimmy Butler's going to have to play on, on that same level for three games, and I think if they're going to want to win the series, they need people like Bam and Goran. And obviously, they just need to be clicking on all series, all cylinders. Tyler Hero, the young 20-year-old uh, gun who has not played well this series. Duncan Robinson, who has not played that well. Jay Crowder, Iguodala. They all need to play exceptional. And that's not what's happened. So, obviously, it looks like it's mostly over. Uh, and then leading to the, to the next point, I think that the MVP of the series so far has been LeBron James. I thought that there would be a chance it would have been Anthony Davis. He looked pretty good those first two games. but this last game, he looked terrible. Uh, he got in foul trouble early, so he really didn't have a chance to initiate any offense or get into a rhythm. But he's five for 15. Didn't really make an impact in that in that game and that loss. And it was a close game, too, where he could have, if he did have a nice little impact, it would have been 3-0 right now. 
So I think it's LeBron James so far. He's clearly the, the, the facilitator, the, the primary option on offense so far. And he's really played exceptional defense too. So I'll go with LeBron. Wes, how about you? Uh, in my opinion, I think it's Anthony Davis to lose. Um, I think AD is playing exceptional. Um, the way the NBA is set up, if we're talking best overall player in this whole series and what he's doing all around the floor, then yes, LeBron. But the but in my opinion, just how dumb or stupid the NBA is with how they pick their people or pick their votes or how they do their setups. I think it'll be AD just based off how he scores and how, he's, how he is so dominant by scoring. But if we're talking all around what he's doing on defense, how he's facilitating on offense and scoring, of course it's LeBron. But in my opinion, I think it's AD just based off scoring and how the NBA is set up. Anthony Davis is a great player. I, lo- I love that Although I'm not the biggest fan of LeBron, of course, I'm a KD guy, but I think what makes them so good is like they said a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, they're not selfish of each other. They they let each other play ball. They let each other play ball. And I think that's what makes them most likely the best duo in the NBA right now. Wes, 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 Wes. What you mean, man? This man, LeBron James, is 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 leading the team in points, rebounds, and assists, and blocks. Where's AD at with those stats? Man, AD is all over the floor. What do you mean? He ain't showing up, though. He ain't yeah. showing up. He didn't show up last night. I give you that. But AD is all over the floor when it comes to who's going to guard him. Nobody. Bam went out. They uh-huh. got nobody to guard him. I, I got AD averaging a double-double next game, 30-plus points. All right. Got, all right. Wow. Okay. Double I feel that. About 25. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I could see that happening. I could see that happening. I mean, yeah. I mean, if we were to just look at the first two games, you know, it's Anthony Davis is the finals MVP hands down. But, you know, game three certainly, certainly, you know, hurt those chances. Um, so I think it's pretty even between both LeBron and AD. Um, but, you know, given the matchup that, you know, the questionability of Bam Adebayo's health um, and just the lack of size that the Heat have, you know, it's Anthony, it is Anthony Davis who's fine as it would be to lose. I really hope. And while I am, I am a fan of LeBron, I do respect him and what he's done for the game and how great he is, you know, even still at, in his 17th year. You know, it's Anthony Davis has the size advantage, and he is the the person that LeBron facilitates to. So my hope is that they don't just give uh, the the finals MVP to LeBron just because they think he deserves it. You know, given you know how long he's been in the in the NBA and what you know, if Anthony Davis is the better player or if he's the 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 X factor for this team, then he should be the the finals MVP. I can't disagree with both of y'all, but I'm going to man. I don't know how <laughs> I, I don't know how I do it, but I'm gonna do it. LeBron James, man, he's just the leader of that team. And just like the regular season, AD led them basically in most statistical categories besides um, assists, which is LeBron's. But I'm taking LeBron all day for MVP, you already know. All right, we'll just wait and see. The series is still ongoing. Uh, Lakers lead 2-1, to one, and we'll see what happens in Game 4 and onward. Uh, let's move on to some coaching news in the NBA. Last week, we reported that Dockers had just been fired by the Los Angeles Clippers. And 
only three days after that, Doc Rivers has landed yet another coaching job, this time with the Philadelphia 76ers, reaching a multi-year deal to coach for them. Wes, what did you think of the hiring, and did you think, do you think it was the right move for the 76ers based on their, their players and their personnel? Um, I don't think so, actually, man. Doc Rivers is a great coach, but I feel like they could have took their time with this whole offseason with the finals not even being over yet to scan over. I mean, you still got plenty of coaches, but at the same time, just going to the Clippers, it makes sense. I feel like the Clippers move on from Doc Rivers, and I feel like Ty Lue steps in. But with the 76ers, I feel like it wasn't the best move. I feel like they could have waited waited it out and at least, you know, talk to other coaches, scan their profiles and things like that. Um, I don't think Doc Rivers is going to do any different than what the previous coach did for the 76ers. What hurt the 76ers the most is injuries. But even with, even with all their players playing, I don't think 76ers are that good of a team. Um, Joel Embiid is too – He's he has too much talent to not be as dominant as he should be. He should be doing just as much as AD is, is doing. Um, ben Simmons is a great player. But at a time like this of how the NBA has just risen to shooting, there's not, there's not much you can do if you're not a shooter, especially at the point guard position. And I just think – the seven sisters are going to be the same team they have been these previous years, even with Dr. Rivers. Yeah, it's definitely a hard question given you know, the, the, the question right now with the Sixers is, can Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid work at the same time? And we've seen in previous years that they can work. You know, they, they both have a certain type of skill set that, you know, can hinder each other. They can't get in each other's way. But at the same time, if they have the right pieces around them, then they can, they can excel. And they certainly don't, did not have those pieces last season. Gabe, let's go with to you. What did you think of the hiring, and do you think Doc Rivers' uh, philosophy and his game planning could mesh well with the 76ers roster and organization? Like you, Wes, I agree with your initial philosophy. I think that it was definitely time for the Clippers uh, to move on. Ty Lue is obviously a great candidate for that team, just for him to step up into that role. I also thought he would have been a great candidate for the 76ers, which goes into your also your next point, which is I think it was – kind of too fast for the Sixers. I think there was other great candidates out there. I like Mark Jackson. I thought he would be a good player-friendly coach that could also be very disciplined, especially towards uh, uh, Ben Simmons and really help him, really help his growth and development. He needs to be more aggressive and start shooting threes, obviously. It was just insane how fast Doc Rivers got the job. This is his last opportunity, in my, in my opinion, to be a legendary Hall of Fame, whatever you want to call it, coach, because he's had significant talent throughout the seat throughout his tender as a coach, head coach, starting with the Celtics, obviously. And he only has one ring to show for it. I mean, how many Hall of Famers do you need? And he he's only made it to with the Clippers. He's never made it to Western Conference Finals with all the talent that he had on that team. So this is his last opportunity. He's getting more Hall of Fame talent as we speak. And Joel Embiid, he's obviously in the right directory to be a Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer, and Ben Simmons. So we'll see what he does, man. I don't I don't think it was the greatest hire. I already named a couple of people that I would have looked at first and then looked towards him, maybe even a David Fisdale. 
uh, there's a lot of people in this league that deserve opportunities, and I don't think I would have picked him first. See, I don't know about that one. Uh, I'm going to go back to before the Clippers let go of Doc Rivers. Given the circumstances of how the season got suspended and how every team had to go into a bubble, I thought it meant that you know coaches can have that security blanket of being able to have one full real season next year, hopefully, in order to show whether or not they deserve that spot or not. So personally, I think letting go of Doc Rivers was a little bit premature. I think they could have held on for one more year. They're built to win now. You know, you can't, as a coach, you can't help whether or not you guys can knock down jump shots. And that's what Kawhi Leonard and Paul George couldn't do for the life of them at the end of the conference semifinals. So personally, I would have kept him there. Um, but I do agree that now he's gone, that he's gone. Ty Lue would make a perfect, would be a perfect candidate to step in there. He's already a part of that system. He already knows players. He's got a lot of, he has a lot of respect from the players and the NBA as a whole. But, and then that kind of leads into where Dockers is now in Philadelphia. Given the, the pool of coaching talent that's out there right now, you know, you got, you see Doc Rivers, you got to take him. Like, no matter what, I know they were looking at people like Mike D'Antoni. Brandon, what has he done? Okay, look, Oscar, he's not, okay, you mentioned him being a, the Hall of Fame coach. He's not, he's not like greatest of all time coaching status, you know, but looking at the talent he's had and looking at how he can play, how he can get players Mike to play. Mike D'Antoni doesn't have a job yet. And you're right. And he, I think he will at some point. You'll probably go, I think he's going to go to somewhere like Philadelphia or not Philadelphia, uh, you know, the, the Pacers or New Orleans. But they they were looking at him too, the Philadelphia Sixers were. And New Orleans, I think, would be perfect for Mike D'Antoni. Sorry, go back to your point. No, no, no yeah. I was, about to, I was going to say, I think you, I agree with you. I think that, you know, given the amount of guards they have on that team, I think his small ball style can work well with them. So, you know, I heard Ron Blaze of the Sixers looking to get Mike D'Antoni and that they probably would have pursued him if Doc Rivers hadn't become available. And I personally didn't think that, that would work because, you know, the Sixers are a team full of bigs. You know, the whole – the whole thing that people want Joel Embiid to do is be able to be a dominant back, back to the rim uh, in the paint, you know, presence instead of a, a guy who just settles for threes all, all the time, which, you know, having a big who can shoot threes is obviously a nice, a nice feature to have. He thinks he's Anthony Davis though. Right. And he's not, he's not, he's, he's got, he's, he's got the size and the ability to be like a, a Shaquille O'Neal type of player. And he's just got to, he's got to hone that, that thing down. Well, he can shoot threes from, from time to time. You know, uh, that'd, be, that'd be nice. It's always great to have, but that's not what he, his focus should be. They, their focus should be getting Ben Simmons to start shooting some jumpers and some threes and also getting some shooting alongside with him. And I think, you know, having Doc Rivers there, they have, a, they have a chance to, you know, make something happen there, given that, you know, their last coach was Brett Brown and he certainly unperformed given the, 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 the pool of coaching talent there is right now. I think you, you see Doc Rivers, you got to take him. Yeah, I was I was kind of going at you pretty hard right there, but I don't <laughs> I don't disagree. I think Dogger is a decent hire. I think he's honestly a good hire. Uh, I think he's a good fit. He's a pre, he's a player friendly coach. Hopefully, he can, he's a he's obviously a point guard that played in the NBA. So hopefully, he can get through to Ben Simmons and inspire him to play more aggressive and to shoot more. I think that is obviously the Sixers' main problem. And they also just don't have any other additional shooting that's consistent. Tobias Harris is is a decent player, but he's not worth the money, in my opinion. He's he's decent. Uh, I I would take him, but when you look at Al Horford, you give this man hundred million dollars just to just to suck on your bench, basically. Uh, that's that's a problem with that team. Allen Brand, he's not that good of a GM. They decided to cut to keep him. I think that was a bad move by the Sixers. Also, what do you think, Wes? 
I think the 76 has all types of issues. I do agree with you, Gabe. Um, getting Al Horford, it looked right or seemed right to go with the defense with uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and even Tobias Harris. But I feel like they have way too many bigs and not enough shooters. Um, I think they could be – they could have been a great team if they would have found a way to keep Jimmy Butler to go along with Al Horford, Tobias and JJ. Harris. And JJ. JJ, JJ, to have him come off the bench and shoot. If they would have kept that together, I feel like they could be – one up, if not the best teams in the East, but the, the 76ers whole organization is having problems. Um, they're just a disappointment every year. And I feel like it's somewhat in the office, but the players also have to come together to make change. Um, the office can only do so much, but the players have to take charge of their team. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have to be better leaders to take control and make changes in that organization. Yeah, I personally think that Ben Simmons is mostly to blame. I think that Joel Embiid's a really good player, man, and he's really had to carry the load for that team, especially this entire year. Uh, no one really else has stepped up to the plate. He, in my mind, is a true superstar, and I don't think Ben Simmons is. I just, I'm waiting for Ben Simmons to take that next step and alleviate some pressure from Joel Embiid. Or Joel Embiid just has to take that next level. We'll see what happens, honestly. What do you think, Brennan? Yeah, I mean, the the league is duos now. It's all dynamic duos. You know, there was the era of big threes. It was, you know, you always have every team's got their bona fide star. But there, you're now in a league of du- of, of duos, and no team's going to be able to go very far without having two of those guys on that team. Um, I haven't even thought about that that much. It's a league of duos, honestly. Yeah, you got yeah. AD, LeBron, you got Kawhi, PG, you got Nikola, Jamal Murray, you got Ben Simmons, Joel. What else you got? You got Harden Westbrook. Okay, okay. Harden Westbrook. Yeah, man. It's all over the place, huh? You got Luca, Luca Kristaps. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Every, yeah, every team's gotta have one now. And that's gonna be the that's gonna be the, the theme for the NBA the next few years. Uh, I like that more than big threes. It, it spreads out the uh spreads out the talent. Makes Definitely. it more enjoyable to watch. Definitely. And speaking of theming going over going forward in the NBA, we're gonna get into a little segment where we try to predict some early finals predictions for next year. Of course, this year is still going on, but it doesn't mean we can't look forward to next. Some teams are certainly looking to come back. Uh, teams like the Warriors, who are dealing with injuries uh, that had, you know, just coming off of Dynasty, losing Kevin Durant. Um, and speaking of Kevin Durant, the Nets also looking to make a push in the Eastern Conference with both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Wes, we'll start with you. What teams should we be looking for that will look, make a push next year? And what do you, who do you think will make the finals next year? That is the easiest question. The best player in the world, Kevin Durant, will lead <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets out the East to the finals and will most likely win it. But the West, that's where the that's where the hard things come in. That because of course you're gonna have LeBron and AD. I'm already gonna say you got LeBron and AD gonna try to make a back-to-back championships. Then you're gonna have Houston with the new coach, if they can find a big man to somewhat even a little bit challenge AD, they can be a contender. You have the Warriors coming back with Draymond, Steph, and Clay. If they can also get a big man, they're back in contention. And I feel like the um, Nuggets are one little piece away from being another top team okay. and even getting a push to the finals. 
the the West is where it's going to be hard at. But if we're talking about if nothing changes from right now, I think the Lakers go back to the um, finals and face the Nets. Man, <laughs> we couldn't agree more, Wes. What is going on, man? I've written down right here. I have to go with the Lakers slash Nets if nothing else changes. If there's no more free agent acquisitions, if all teams stay exactly how they are, I don't see how you could how you could differ. I think the Nets in the East are definitely the most dominant team, have the most dominant player in Kevin Durant if he's not affected by that Achilles injury in any type of significant way. I think that they'll definitely have a bona fide bona fide squad to go to the go to the NBA finals. I mean, look at them this year. They were the seventh seed, a really good team. Uh, players were injured too, not going into that bubble. Uh, who, who was injured? Was it Spencer Dinwiddie? They didn't go down there. Uh, there yeah, was a couple yeah. other players too. Dinwiddie, and, Curry, and yeah. uh, DeAndre yeah. Jordan. Yeah, so you got DeAndre Jordan and Dinwiddie, and then you add basically Kyrie and KD to that squad. I think that's going to be a very difficult squad to handle. Who knows what's going to happen with this all Kyrie talk with Steve Nash. Uh, hopefully that they set him straight. I, I don't know. I don't know what was happening with that. It was some curious stuff. They already trying to undermine his coach that just got hired a week ago, man. I, I would be, I'd be questioning them, but that's my pick so far. I could see a team like the Celtics. If they, if a person like Jason Tatum takes that next step or if Miami gets a, Another free agent acquisition, but like I said, as it stands, I got to go with the Lakers, Clippers, or Lakers, Nets, and then maybe the Clippers do something. But uh, I'm sticking with like Lakers, Nets. Yeah, I think it's tough on both sides. Uh, starting with the Eastern Conference, I do like the Nets, and I do like their their future, their their upcoming future as far as the next few years are concerned. But it's hard for me to pick them as the bona fide favorite in the East, just given that both those players are coming off of injuries. Kyrie has had an injury history in the past, especially recently. He only played a handful of games this year. And it looked like, you know, because KD wasn't there, the season they were already looking forward to next season, which I don't think is a, a very great uh, choice for a team's culture. And like what you said, you know, they, they just hired a new coach who was a first-time coach. You know, uh, Kyrie said some things that were – that a lot of people saw as inflammatory towards Snash and as well as, as towards his former teammates. Um, and then, of course, Kevin Durant, who's going to be the star of that team. You know, we don't know how he's going to look after coming off of a torn Achilles. You know, I expect him to be great, as always, even if he shows up, if he's not fully what the, the same player that he was before. Even even if you take you notch him down a little bit, he's still going to be one of the best players in the league and certainly be a top player for that team. And then as for the Western Cowboys, like I said, it's, just, it's going to be just as hard. There are multiple teams – um, in that conference that, you know, we're out of it this year that look to make a big push. Uh, I do like the Warriors making a comeback, you know, getting Steph and Clay back, uh, as well as getting the second pick in the draft. You know, they can, like I said, like you guys said, a big would be perfect for them to coincide with Draymond, Steph and Clay already. They already have great shooting and Andrew Wiggins as well. Something, someone like a James Wiseman in the draft, I think that'd be a perfect pick for them. Uh, you can totally see, I can totally see them making a conference final position, you know, maybe even challenging the Lakers or the Clippers, depending on, you know, what, if the Clippers can get straight as well. Um, but yeah, so I can, I can totally see it being Lakers nets as well. Um, it's going to be tough. I'll maybe I'd say the Lakers more so than the nets, given that they've already, they've already been here before. There's more continuity. Um, and I think there might be, there's, I'm expecting to see a lot more drama coming out of the nets, Lakers, especially out of Kyrie. Lakers, if they meet. Very good. <laughs>
Negative. I know Wes disagrees. I know. I already know that. I ain't have to ask him. (laughs) (laughs) You already know I'm going with LeBron James. That'd be a perfect finals, though, man. Could you imagine the narrative? Could you imagine the narrative? Kevin Durant finally on the even playing field. Finally gets to go at LeBron James. LeBron James going at Kevin Durant again. Maybe he can put him back in his little box. Maybe put Wes down back in his little box. I don't know, know, man. No, Kevin Durant would demolish the Lakers. Nobody on that team would guard Kevin Durant. Uh, and for Kyrie to come in and just play his part, it just it's just it's just gonna work perfectly in my opinion. The only way that 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 team can mess up is Kyrie Irving. They got decent defenders for AD too, and uh, Allen and and Jordan. Then they have those, great those role players. They have great role players with Chris LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and um, Joe Harris. Man, they have great role players. And if everything stays the same, I think they're a top contender. I think, and even if things switch up and rumors of them trading for Bradley Bill, they're going to lose some role players. But to put, to put Bradley Bill with Kyrie and KD, man, that's, that, that puts it over the top right there. Man. They don't need that, man. They don't need that. <laughs> They don't need that, man. The league, oh. the league is duos now. If they get billed, then they <laughs> they switch it up three. too much. Yeah, they literally, they up. would have a big three, and no one could solve it if they were to get Bradley Beal. Okay, man. Yeah, I don't. I don't I'm going with the Lakers, but it'd be great. It'd be great series. I'd definitely say in seven. Yeah, I, I hope so, man. Um, you know, obviously these picks are way too early. So many things can change. Free agency, the draft, injuries throughout the season. Who knows? We'll be right there to, to, to watch it all. Um, before we end this segment, uh, we do want to mention that the WNBA Finals, we can't forget about that. The WNBA Finals are also happening. Gabe, I know you want to talk about that a little. What do you got for us? Well, it's obviously the Seattle Storm versus the Las Vegas Aces. The Storm are up 2-0 right now in a best-out-of-five series. Uh, Sue Bird averaging 10-5 and in the series. Bianca Stewart, though, is actually leading the team. And all basically, she's just a, obviously a stellar superstar, one of the best players in the WNBA, with 20 averaging 20 points, eight rebounds, and 3.6 assists this series. It's a great team. They're going against an Aces team that has Aisha Wilson, who's really carrying the team, uh, a, a fantastic player. But and it looks like the series is probably going to be over. These past two games, the Storm really just demolished the Aces. And it's only a best set out of five series. So the next game, if the Storm take it, it's over. But it was a great series to watch, honestly. And I just want to shout out the girls here. You know, they're the women. They're playing really hard. And I definitely think they deserve a little bit more recognition, man. Definitely. And it's hard, you know, having both finals happening at the same time. But, you know, maybe it'll work as, as a benefit going forward. Or maybe they'll have to find a way to schedule that. To be to not conflict with any other uh, sporting events. You got time. They're just right. They're always right before mm-hmm. the uh, the NBA finals. So it's always just right before. Just tune in if you ain't got nothing to do. Just put it on. Put the ratings up a little bit. You know what I mean? Let them know that you're watching. For sure. And with that, that's going to do it for our second segment here on the Double Double with Brendan and Gabriel. Wes, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Uh, once again, you, you're always welcome to join here whenever you want. Uh, and with that, uh, we'll talk to you all later in a little bit when we get into the MLB postseason.
And we're back to the double-double on KLJX LP in Flagstaff. I'm Brandon Martin alongside Gabriel Dixon. And for this segment, we'll be getting into the Major League Baseball postseason. The wildcard series are already done, and we are right into the divisional series. We'll go through them one by one, starting with the Astros in and the A's. Game one already happened in that series. The Astros took it 10-5. to Of course, the huge storyline going into this season for the Astros was, of course, coming off of their cheating scandal, wondering, you know, without those, quote-unquote, handicaps that helped them get to uh, their success that they've had, can that team be still sustainable, win uh, their division, and get into the playoffs? And so far, that seems to be the case, taking that one nothing lead in the divisional series. Gabe, have you been watching the series, and what do you think uh, of the Astros? What the what is going on? <laughs> I was watching in the fifth inning when they were up five to three, I think. I think it was yeah, five to three. Um and then they just gave up five runs, the athletics. Oh man, that's not a good sign at all. Especially oof, oof. That was that's just not good at all. That's it's a pretty big lead, big stretch by the Astros. But Verlando's out, so I didn't think that they would be this great as far as pitching, but they still got Granky and guys like Javier Christian and Valdez Flamber. And uh, really, I don't, I didn't think this roster was like years past, obviously. I, I just didn't think that they had it in them or I don't think they have it in them to make the same type of run. They obviously have still great hitter. They have great sluggers and hitters and guys like Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, but I like what the A's got. The A's got a decent pitcher in Chris Bassett, um, Bassett, but not much else on the team as far as pitching. Uh, Marcus um, Semyon is a a pretty good slugger. Chris Davis, the DH on that team, is a great slugger. Sean Murphy is a pretty good slugger. Uh, I got the A's. At least I did before before this game. Hopefully my prediction still comes out true, but I had the A's coming out of this one winning the series in six, but it's not looking great so far. Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm going to stick with the Astros solely because obviously I, I'm, I'm personally, as a Dodgers fan, I want them to lose every single game they play. Of course I do, but I want them to win just so we can play the Dodgers can play them again in the world series and get their revenge. That's all I care about in terms of this season. I don't care about any other team. I don't care about any other storyline. I just want to see the Dodgers get their revenge on the Astros. Because I think a majority of the baseball world wants that. Definitely. You already know. Kershaw wants that for sure. Kershaw. A bunch of people want that. Hashtag free Joe Kelly. Literally. Let's go. Let's move on to another series in the divisional series playoffs. The Yankees versus the Rays. That game, game one of that is currently ongoing there in the top of the fourth. Yankees hold the lead 2-1 to one against the Tampa Bay Rays. Gabe, what are your thoughts on this series and who do you think comes out on top? Who's one? Who's leading two to one? The Yankees are leading two to one right now. Yankees are leading two to one. Okay, yeah. Giancarlo, Stan, and Judge, Aaron Judge haven't played that well so far this postseason, uh, or in the past couple of games in the regular season they didn't play that well, at least in my opinion. But they have other guys that have been stepping up: Cleaver Torres, uh, the shortstop, uh, Brett Gardner, the left fielder. Uh, DJ um, Lamehu, I always pronounce his, rent, his name pretty terribly. Sorry, I apologize it. for that. And then their pitchers are, are pretty – I like their pitchers a lot. There's not much to hate about them. Aldros Chapman, Garrett Cole, who's 
obviously an ace. And then Luis Sosa, uh, Sessa, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, also is a, is a very fine pitcher. And I don't really know, man. The, the Rays have a good team too, though. Randy Arozarnina. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Also, is is also a very good slugger. Uh, so is Manuel Margot, and their pitches are very well too. They got Tyler Glasnow, uh, Blake Snell, who's been playing exceptional for them in the past couple of games. But all being saying all that though, I gotta go with the Yankees. This is the Yankees in a early matchup. The Rays. I had high expectations for them going into the season. Uh, they had a good postseason last year too. But I gotta I gotta go with the Yankees, and I think that they'll probably get the series in seven. It'll be a close one. I agree. I so I especially like the series because it is an, a true division rivalry in the division series. Um, Yankees have probably been one of the best teams uh, in terms of roster, especially um, given all of the slugging they have and the pitching that they've had and and the acquired with Garrett Cole. So I agree. I think the Yankees come out on top. I think they're a huge contender in the American League, but we'll just have to wait and see. Of course, that game is still going on. Top of the fourth of game one, Yankees lead 2-1. to one. And let's move on to the National League Divisional Series, starting with the Dodgers versus the Padres. Game one of that is set to start tomorrow. The Dodgers winning the National League West uh, Division for the eighth year in the row, and the Padres with that young team coming in a close second, taking a wild, a wild card spot. Gabe, what are your thoughts of this series? Who do you think is going to come out on top? And what do you think this means going forward for the National League West? You're muted. Thank you for letting me know. I, <laughs> I definitely just showed up on my, my computer too as well. I try not to speak over you when you're talking. Sometimes I'll blurt out stuff. So that's why I keep myself muted. But I I love the Dodgers in this series. To start with Clayton Kershaw. He's been playing well, man. I think he's a really exceptional pitcher. He's ready to show what he can do without cheating on his, on his, uh, on his back this offseason. Uh, Walker Bueller and Julio Reyes are good pitchers as well. Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, you know Corey Sager, all great hitters. That Dodgers team is dangerous, man. They're loaded. They got tons of talent. They've they've been waiting. They've been waiting for the moment. Uh, they've been waiting to get past the moment to be honest. And I think that they are ready this year. They have a little bit extra motivation. They have kind of, uh, what do they call it? They have uh, this like notion in their head, basically that allows them to deny reality a little bit in the sense that they're like, they're like, yeah, we got cheated basically. Like we would have had a couple of, of, uh, of championships by this point. So that allows them to kind of put back their past disappointments in my opinion Go full on, full head of steam. Let it go one more full on rip, and see what they have. I mean, it's not even just this one year, honestly. They got young guys and Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger that are ready to take this team on for years. But the Dodgers are a team that are dangerous and are definitely an exciting team to watch. The Padres are the exact same thing, man. You got Manny Machado, Fernandez Tatis Jr., an MVP candidate in the regular season this year. Tommy Pham, um, Tommy Pham, um, have all, they've all been on fire. Their pitchers, they really have no great pitchers, in my opinion. Adrian Moriano or Morion is all right, and they have some other guys, but no one that exceptional that stands out to me. I'm not really the, 
the big, big baseball guy in here. So, Brennan, you want to dispute me, go for it. But I'm going to go with the Dodgers in this in five. Oh, you know me. I'm not going to dispute you going with the Dodgers, of course. I mean, I would never do that. Um, I mean, like you said, Dodgers, they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. They're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder until they eventually win that World Series with this roster, which this most certainly will do, if not this year, then certainly at some point in the next few years, given the amount of money they pour on this team and given the amount of young talent that they have, that they're going to have for probably a decade plus at this point. Um, but you got to give props to the Padres and what they've been able to do. They're in a similar situation with a lot of younger, younger pieces, you know, uh, especially when they're pitching, uh, you know, they're pitching maybe in a little bit of flux right now due to some injuries. They may not have a few, a uh, few of their starters going in. I mean, I have uh, as well, pitchers like Mike Clevenger or Danelle, Danelson Lamette. Um, so p- pitching is of course a huge part of the playoffs and Clayton Kershaw can tell you that more than anyone. Um, you know, I, I got the Dodgers coming out this one. I got it in a fairly easy series. Uh, Dodgers have, have the best pitching. Dodgers have the better hitting. And I can, as as I've said previously on the show, I got the Dodgers taking this this series and the World Series as well. As I say, yeah. How do you feel about them in the World Series? You you scared? Any any competition in the way or what? Well, I'm I'm always scared now after what's happened the past few years. I'm definitely terrified out of, out of my mind. But they're the favorite. I feel they were the first team to clinch their playoff spot. Um, so I, you know, I'm going to pick them every year, ride or die until, until they end up getting it. And even after that as well. Okay, man. You already know Dodgers definitely have a solid chance this year as best as any, they, especially without any cheating scandals. So Mm -hmm. we'll definitely see what happens with them. I, I, I love the Padres too. They're a very young team. They haven't been in a position like this in a long time, man. Uh, if you're a San Diego Padres fan, you kind of, you have a lot to look forward to. And this is a first in a long time, honestly, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. They're a team that hadn't been in the playoffs for the longest time. And they've been stuck in a tough division where the Giants have won multiple World Series. And then, of course, the Dodgers have been there winning the division eight straight times. So it's a good time to be a San Diego Padres fan. They're going to be there for a while, uh, depending on, you know, not only how the division shakes out, but how playoff rules go going forward after the season as well. Yeah, I mean, I just love guys like Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis. Those guys are amazing to watch, and hopefully they can get some decent pitching to go along with that team so they can actually make a deep run in the playoffs. Definitely. But I know you're a Dodgers fan, so you're not going to root for them too much. I mean, I'll root, I'll root for a good series, as always, but <laughs> I'm always going to be with my Dodgers, that's for sure. Of course, I wouldn't ask any different. <laughs> you know. All right, let's get into one more uh, the one more series uh, in this uh, major league postseason before we move on. That is the Marlins versus the Braves, and yes, you heard me right. The Marlins are in the playoffs, playing against the Braves. Let's go, Derek Jeter. <laughs> Who would have thought? And Derek Jeter letting it, making it all happen. Maybe it was because Tom Brady's staying at his place in Tampa Bay. That's probably <laughs> what's going on. Um, game one of that is is starting tomorrow as well. Gabe, what are your thoughts on this series? Who do you think comes out on top? The Marlins. Well, the Braves? I can't believe I'm saying the Marlins isn't are in the playoffs. It's, it's the I I know, man. They were the laughing stock just what five months ago, <laughs> yeah. not less. Like literally, like less than that. They were the laughing stock of the MLB. But I'll start with the Braves. They don't want to bag on the Marlins too much. We'll get on to them. But mm-hmm. Max Fried is good. Ian Anderson has been playing very well. A really good pitchers, obviously, on that team. Um, I like them. 
And they also have good sluggers and Ronald Acuna, uh, one of the better hitters in the league, in my opinion, and Marcel Azuna. Uh, very, very decent sluggers, and they should pose a, a pretty good threat to the Marlins. But I do love this Marlins team, man. Uh, uh, Jesus Aguilar, at the, the, the designator hitter, is, a, is, a, is an amazing slugger. He really can get it done. Garrett Cooper has been hitting it well at the first baseman. Uh, their their pitching is is where they struggle though in my opinion. Sandy Alcan Alcantara is is a pretty good pitcher and so is Sixto Sixto Sanchez, but uh, Sixto Sanchez has been playing pretty underwhelming to me and the Braves. Uh, I and I I just think the Braves are a better overall team. I think they I think they'll beat the uh, the Marlins in six. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I can't imagine the Marlins getting that far into the playoffs. Not only because they've been a laughing stock, as you said, in the in the major leagues, but given the story that's happened with them this season, being the team that that was hurt the most through the, uh, thanks to COVID nineteen, a, a large portion of that team got the virus. They had to call up a lot of AAA players to to play in their stead, and yet they still went on a marvelous run and ended up making it to the playoffs. Definitely. I mean, it's it's insane. I remember when when Derek Jeter joined that team as a is he majority owner? Is he one of the majority owners? I believe so. Yeah, he's an owner yeah. of some sorts. He yeah, he's one of the owners of the team, and they were struggling for a long time now, but they're starting to turn the wheels. Maybe Jeter's bringing that little lucky success. It hasn't been that long, and what has it been like three or four years since he's been something like that? Yeah. I mean, he. I mean, look at Michael Jordan, man. He's owned the Charlotte or the yeah the Charlotte mm-hmm. Hornets for almost a decade now, or something, and they still are terrible. So, way to go, Derek. At least you got him in the playoffs. I know it's a shortened season and everything, but you still got him there. That's all that matters. Yep. Take what you can get. You know, maybe I heard uh, talks of Alex Rodriguez buying the Mets at at some point. Maybe that'd that be, that'd maybe, be cool. Maybe he that'd can get cool. some magic going there. I'm sure the Mets fans would certainly appreciate that. He's definitely turned his likeness over, especially in the city of New York um, the past couple of years. I love Alex Rodriguez, one of the best hitters I've ever seen in my life. So it'd be it'd be it'd be very exciting to see him in ownership position. See what a uh, little him and Derek have always had a little bit of in, internal competition, in my opinion. So it'd be cool to see that happen within within ownerships. Definitely. Did you still want to talk college football? Yeah, I'm definitely down. Let's lay out. Let's talk college football a little bit if you want. Yeah, Uh, perfect. Let's do it. It's it's week six right now is underway. Uh, Clemson is the number one seed. Alabama is the number two seed. Georgia, Florida, and Notre Dame are rounding out that list. And Ohio State, who hasn't even played a, a game yet, is still the number six seed. I don't understand how these these rankings go. I'm not I'm not on that pay grade yet. Hopefully one day I will be. And the Big Ten are about to play again though pretty soon. But I I mainly wanted to talk about Oklahoma, who's in the Big Twelve. Uh, they lost their past two games to Iowa State, 37 to 30, and Kansas State, 38 to 35. And then now they're not even the top 25 college football rankings I think this is about time that we look at the big 12 and a lot of these other conferences and really start to discriminate about them getting into the college football playoffs 
because I think that Oklahoma has gotten there way too much the past couple of years, and every single time they do, they get blown up, and it's nothing that anyone can see from a mile away. Uh, what do you think about that, Brendan? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've always felt like there's some sort of bias in terms of what conference you're in. Obviously, the SEC has the best teams uh, and certainly uh, get better opportunities to make it into uh, bowl games and uh, the college football playoff. But, yeah, we saw it last year in the, in the Peach Bowl where it was Oklahoma versus LSU where LSU just completely manhandled them, scoring like seven touchdowns in the first half and Joe Burrow just going off and they had no answer for him. So it's clear that they, if there is a college football playoff or whatever format takes, it's clear they won't be in it. Um, it's gonna, I'm, I'm sure it'll look a lot different, of course, given how scheduling works given for each conference and just how teams are going to perform in general, given that you know some players may not be available or not. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, conference-wise, it's, it's a very discriminative league. The NCAA football is – ACC is decent. You got teams – you got one major yeah, Clemson. team in Clemson. That's it, really. You got the Big Ten, which is probably the second big stronghold of college football. You got Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan hasn't been playing that well recently. And you got – some other little schools, the Pac-10, Pac-12, some little other schools, but nothing really like the SEC, man. The SEC is like mm-hmm. basically just a little step down from the NFL, I swear. Some of those years when like Deshaun Watson was on the team or some of these other players like Derrick Henry when he was in Alabama and they won the, uh, the championship, I was like, those teams could play against uh, the Browns when they were one in – one and fifteen that year. It was mm-hmm. pretty crazy. But who do you have have how, who do you have winning the uh, championship this year, the national championship, if it is played? Well, yeah, if it is played, I'm going to pick the team that I picked last year that I was unfortunately wrong with. I want to say Clemson takes it. I think oh, that okay. not only is it because you know they have that that more so easy schedule being in the ACC, they have the presumptive number one pick in the draft, Trevor Lawrence. Um, they got even despite losing quite a few weapons in the draft, which the SEC, of course. Was a that was a had the biggest supply of players go to the draft. You know, even despite all that, they had players like uh, Etn stay stay with the team. They had other weapons there as well, and I think Clemson's going to be back there. Clemson is my pick too, Brendan, and I hate agreeing with you. I love arguing <laughs> with you, man. And it's just it's way more fun. I mean, what is, there's no fun in agreeing and sports mm-hmm. sports debating. I. So I hate it. So I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit and go with Alabama. Uh, Obviously, you know, I like Clemson. It's my favorite, but Alabama has a really good team this year, obviously too. I think that their continuity, they're probably most likely going to be both teams. Those are the two teams that are probably going to make it to the national championship. Most likely Georgia has a pretty uh, formidable run, run game right now, as they always do. Their defense looks pretty solid, too, so I would not be surprised if they make it in. But so far, I like Alabama and Clemson. And let's just say for hypotheticals or whatever you want to say, I got Alabama for now. All right. We'll, we'll just put that as a placeholder for now. We'll put a pin on that one. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we end today, I'm going to go in on a little tangent myself and get a little bit real with you guys. Let's do it. So, we talked about the the we talked about Major League Baseball beforehand and we talked about, you know, their playoffs are on their way. They're in a completely new playoff format. They've had to change a lot of things. We've talked previously on the show about rule changes 
and just things that they could do to sort of up the pace of the game, sort of get to get people of the new, of the new generation interested in it, because it's no longer seen as that American pastime that it used to be back in the day. Well, like all of us, Major League Baseball has had to adapt to COVID-19, not only by changing the schedule, changing what, uh, what teams each team plays against, changing you know, how, what their playoffs are and how each team is in a centralized location for a specific series. Uh, all that had to be changed due to COVID-19. It's similar to how us as a society has had to change to a lot of things as well. We've had to uh, change the way we communicate with people, with our friends, our family, our coworkers. Um, I mean, we can tell, I mean, Gabe and I can take, say this from a firsthand experience, you know, we're recording this podcast through Zoom, which is the premier, uh, online meeting platform, apparently as in this pandemic, which I'm sure many of us have probably never even heard of beforehand. I know I certainly hadn't heard of Zoom before, before having the quarantine up. Well, while this virus will go away at some point, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later. The effect it's going to have on the world is going to stick with us for our lifetimes. It's going to stick with us for even longer than that. This virus has not only changed the way we act and the change or the way we we interact with others, but it's changed the way classes have worked for school. It's changed the way meetings have worked for work, and it's, it's even ch- uh, changed just the way just our normal schedules as human beings. This is something that I think is going to carry over, even after post COVID. I expect things to move more towards a virtual, uh, towards a, a virtual trajectory. You know, even while people like us could be tired of having every single class, every single meeting, be taken over Zoom. I think that's going to be that's going to start becoming more of a standard. You know, it's convenient. You know, obviously depending on if you have a good enough internet connection, if you all you need to do is just click on a link and boom, you're in a meeting. No need to worry about a commute, spending an hour plus in traffic. In our, going to work, an hour plus traffic, going back from work just for a meeting. You know, it's 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 these things that technology has blessed us with. And you know, you know, while many of us, including myself, love that in-person aspect, having an online option can, that is now a standard that, it, like it has been for the past few months, is certainly something that uh, will be held onto in the future, even after COVID. Gabe, what are your thoughts on having on how life has changed you uh, in these past few months with COVID nineteen, and what do you think will carry over? Well, I definitely love your point on Zoom, and I can see how that can work in many facets of life. Obviously, any mean any means of your profession. Um, I can see with medical just starting off literally medical practices. If you need to do like an emergency visit or just get a consultation with your doctor or something, you just do a quick zoom call real quick instead of, uh, um, instead of, I mean, you can like FaceTime or something if they have like an iPhone, but like if you need to like show them something that you can show them and they can tell you, uh, which is kind of weird, I guess. But I mean, another meeting is obviously other facets of life journalism we can plan like we're planning our meetings um like we we used to have to do that in person we'd have to go to the mic which is the which obviously we all know which is the media um control center uh which we all love and and enjoy and nau we used to meet up there to plan our meetings and now i don't see us ever really doing that again unless it's 
ultra convenient, like right after a class, if we do have one, I could just definitely see us just doing a Zoom call. Um, other facets of life, doing job interviews, things like that are definitely going to be done, done through Zoom. So it's definitely a great point, and I could even seeing it happening in sports. Uh, like I said, job interviews, not even just that, but whenever you have to do late night meetings or if, if uh, players aren't there at their own on personal leave or something, they can, they can get, um, they can be put on a zoom meeting if necessary. Uh, so they can get trained for the next week. It's definitely a great invention. Uh, not just zoom, but other fats is alive communication, social distancing. I think that personally it's kind of an eye opener to how we've all been living. Uh, we, we live in a pretty congested society and we need to, and I don't want to get too like economic and political with all this, but we need to understand that this is kind of a wake up call and try to try to put something in place. So this can be mitigated in in future instances, because it's definitely been a horrific time for a lot of people. What do you think, Brendan? For sure. And I made the point of bringing up major league baseball and how that sport and that league has been floundering for a little bit, trying to figure out what it needs to do to change something, what it needs to do to get more people invested. And that's something that has been a theme as well here in real life as well, in terms of the engagement and investment point, of course, uh, we're, in we're in an election season. People are trying to get invested in, in the election and getting people registered to vote. I've def everyone's definitely been seeing that a lot, even if you don't want to. It's something you've, you've seen. Um, it's just a matter of society uh, trying to better itself, trying to help the people that it, that it needs to help. And you can certainly see those parallels in baseball. You can certainly see those parallels in many sports. Um, they, just, they all, they all co correlate together. I think being in quarantine and being in this time where you're spending more time with yourself, you're thinking about how you can change yourself and how you can reflect that upon the people you love and the people that you represent. I definitely think that um, personally, it's given a lot more people opportunity to understand their lives more and reflect on what they want to do personally, honestly. It gives them more time to think about their understandings, their situation, their environment, and built from it. You've seen a lot of creativity through, um, through social media, uh, personal projects, in this in this time so i understand exactly what you're saying brendan uh there's a lot of people that are being innovative and really taking this to the next level and i think mm -hmm. that through struggle pressure creates diamonds man and there'll definitely be some opportunities opened through this even though it looks so gleam in the moment yep everyone just keep your head up uh just keep go going at it while obviously we'd rather have not have this virus never happened, never, never come up at all. We got to take what, what little pieces there are that we've learned from it and use it moving forward. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Double Double here on KLJX LP in Flagstaff. I've been Brennan Martin alongside my host, Gabriel Dixon. Uh, everyone, please stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you in the next one. Goodbye.